for today is from Revelation 21, 1 through 5. You can follow along in your bulletin. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. I'll try to be as loud as I can, and hopefully you guys, if you can't hear me, just raise your hand, and I'll try to scream a little bit louder. Or you can move forward. The whole row right here, you can come sit with me. Um, just before I even begin, just want to thank everyone who came out last night in the committee. We just had a wonderful 10-year uh, celebration last night, and on behalf of Michael and Hannah and I, thank you uh, for honoring us, and we believe it's all of us um, that have made Hope Chapel what it is today, and so just a great celebration. Hopefully, we'll get the videos and stuff up on the website, so if you weren't able to be there, you'll be able to hear the testimonies and taste a little bit of our evening uh, last night. So... Over the last six weeks, uh, we have been looking at different dimensions of God. And the first week, we looked at God the Father and saw in Luke 15 that God loves his children unconditionally. The second week, we looked at God the host and saw that even though Jesus never owned a home, every home that he went into, he was the host and he gathered the disenfranchised to himself. The third week, we looked at God as the vine dresser. God is the vine and we are the branches. And through our union with him, we find strength and life. And like any wise gardener, God prunes us so that we might continue to grow in holiness. And then the fourth week, we looked at God as the artist. He is the creator and we are his workmanship created to be useful and as a reflection of his beauty. The fifth week, we looked at God, the shepherd. And in Psalm 23, David reminds us that God provides for us, he protects us, and he retrieves his flock. And then last week, Daniel looked at God, the judge, and helped us to see that God is going to set all that is wrong right again. And because of that, we must submit to his judgment We must show the world his judgment, and we must seek his judgment in times of need. And in this morning, it's fitting that we're going to finish the series looking at God the Restorer. And I want to consider three things from our passage this morning. The first is, God promises to complete the task of making all things new. Secondly, because of his promise, We can boldly seek restoration here and now. And then thirdly, because of his promise, 
we can maintain hope regardless of our circumstances. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning that you are with us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we pray for those in need throughout the city, many houses that have been damaged. Lord, we pray for protection and provision for those folks. And it's been very keenly aware to all of us that we're without power, the necessity of power. And we're so grateful that you've given us a spirit who is our power, who is our strength. And so come, Holy Spirit, come. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, you can look on. And the first thing that I want us to consider is that God promises to complete the task of making all things new. When I was in seventh grade, I decided to follow in my brother's footsteps and become a paper boy. They had done the afternoon route. This was dating me. We used to have morning and afternoon papers. And I thought, well, this would be cool for me to do this. And, and my dad said, you know, you can do this, but you have to complete a year. And I was like, no problem. You know, I started in the fall, got to know my customers, was doing the papers, folding them. Well, then winter came. <laughs> and it got cold and dark. And I remember going to my dad and saying, I'm, I'm done. I'm quitting. I don't want to do this anymore. And my dad, in all of his wisdom, looked at me and said, Son, I told you that you had to complete a year. And I said, Yeah, but, uh, you know, what's a promise? And he said, No, you have to complete the year. And I wasn't very happy. I might have said some curse words at that point in my young uh, life. And he's was steadfast and said, no, you have to complete a year. And as I've thought about that over this past week, and my dad certainly is a wise man, and he taught me a principle that anything that you start, you need to finish. And I always thought that dad had come up with that, but what I've realized is that he received that message, not just from his earthly father, but from his heavenly father. You see... Our God is a God who did not start creation without completing it. After creating Adam and Eve and placing them in the garden, though they disobeyed him, God remained faithful. And from that point on, he provided coverings for them after they fell into sin. And he continued to pursue them and us by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die, and to be raised from the dead so that the world might be restored to him. And although the kingdom has come and restoration has begun, it doesn't take long for us to look around and see that the world we live in is still broken and that we are still under the influence of sin. And it would be easy to think that God, that he's given up on us, that he's quit his cosmic calling to restoration. But the good news is that God is the great restorer. And he promises to complete the task of making all things new. And this is exactly what we see in Revelation 21, 
verses 1 through 5. John is writing to Christians who are undergoing intense persecution at the hands of the Roman emperor Domitian. They are being fed to the lions, burned at the stake, and crucified along the Roman city streets. And God gave John a vision of what is to come as a reminder and an encouragement to them that God will finish his great restoration project. If you look in verses 1 and 2, John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. In these verses, God is giving John and us a window into the future. He says that God the Restorer is going to bring down out of heaven a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, unfortunately, through the years, many people who have read this passage have misinterpreted it. They've read these verses and they've concluded that God was going to destroy the present heaven and earth and create a whole new heaven and earth for his children to dwell. And while we can understand how they might come to this conclusion, because the word new is repeated three times, and John himself writes that the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, But the beautiful thing about the original Greek manuscript is the word for new is kainos. And it literally means renovate or restore, not create something new out of nothing. You see, John here is saying to his readers then and to us today that God is not going to destroy the restoration that is already taking place. Rather, God is going to finish the project. But you might be thinking, okay, so the word kanyos doesn't mean new. It means renovate or restore. But John says that the heaven and the earth has passed away and the sea was no more. Well, the sea in ancient Near Eastern literature was a metaphor for chaos and darkness. And so what John is writing here is that the chaos and darkness will be destroyed, will be no more. And when he mentions that the new heaven and the new earth, I mean the old heaven and the old earth will pass away, this is more like a renovation project. And those of us who've renovated kitchens or bathrooms, when you go in, you have to gut it. You have to do some demolition. You have to throw some of the old wood away, some of the old parts away. And that's exactly what John is saying here. John is saying that some things will be destroyed. We know for sure that sin will be destroyed forever and ever. Satan will be destroyed forever and ever. Diseases will be destroyed forever and ever. In verse 3, John says that our relationship with God will be completely healed. He writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
N.T. Wright commenting on this verse says, God is coming to live forever in our midst. A healing, comforting, celebrating presence. And as a result, God is making his dwelling with us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where we once saw in the mirror dimly, but now face to face when he comes again, where we once knew in part, now we shall be fully known by God and we will fully know God. Our union with God will be perfected. Our intimacy with God will be perfected. Our knowledge of God will be perfected. Our relationship with God will be completely healed forever and ever and ever as he makes his dwelling with us. And the beautiful thing is, not only is our relationship with God going to be restored, John goes on to say that our relationship to ourselves, to others, and to nature will be perfected. In verse 4, John writes, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There will be no more fear. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more diseases, and there will be no more death. There will be no more division and fighting between individuals. There'll be no more hurricanes, praise God for that, and no more power outages. The world will be completely restored and renovated. God, the great restorer, will come again to make all things new. God is a covenant-keeping God. And he does not begin something and, and then not complete it. He promises to complete the task of making all things new. So the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is God, the great restorer, promised us to complete the task of making all things new. Secondly, because of this promise, we can boldly seek restoration here and now. The beautiful thing about God's word is that we not only know the beginning of the story, we also know the ending. And since we know that in the end, that God will ultimately make all things new, we could just sit back and do nothing. And I have to confess, sometimes when it comes to recycling, I am quick to throw a bottle into the trash can, thinking, oh, well, God's going to make all things new. And then Caleb quickly reminds me, no, you need to take it to the recycling bin now because he's making all things new. You see, Christ tells us to go out now and to make disciples. He has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to empower us to do the work of renewal here and now. Last weekend, I was with my friend Susie. I've known her since fourth grade. And she was talking about starting this nonprofit in Arlington, Virginia. And their whole goal is to help immigrants come and settle here and to protect them and to fight for their rights. As I listened to her heart, I thought she is someone that is boldly seeking renewal and restoration here and now. 
And God is not only just calling my friend Susie to do that, he's calling all of us to boldly love our neighbors, sharing the good news of the gospel. He's calling us to love the poor and the disenfranchised. And as we celebrated last night, and during our 10-year anniversary, he's called us then over the past 10 years, to seek the flourishing in the city. And our prayer is for the next 10, 20, 30 years, he's calling us to continue to widen our footprint so that we might seek the flourishing of the city. Knowing the end of the story and God's promise of complete restoration sets us free to take risks for the sake of his kingdom. It sets us free to sacrifice our time our gifts, our money for the sake of the gospel. Tim Keller asked this question that I've been wrestling with all week. Do you want to be the person who created the devastations that will need rebuilding or the one who participates in the astounding work of redemption Jesus began on the cross and will bring to completion when he comes again? My hope is, through the power of the Spirit, we as a community, individually and corporately, will seek to do the latter. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I am so thankful for the laborers that God has risen up to be a part of our body over the past 10 years. And yet, there's so much to be done in the city and beyond. And so my hope is over the next 10 years that we will have other laborers that come, that Jesus will call others. I'm thankful for the ones that joined us this morning so that we together might go out and boldly seek spiritual, social, and cultural renewal in our city and beyond. So I wonder this morning, will you join all those that have gone before us to seek the restoration of our city? Will you make the hard choices, which means stepping into the world and not away from it, so that Christ's name might become weightier here in Greensboro and beyond? In this passage, we first see that God promises to complete the task of making all things new. Secondly, we see because of his promise, we can boldly seek restoration here and now. And then thirdly and lastly, because of his promise, we can maintain hope regardless of our circumstances. As I mentioned earlier, toward the end of the first century, the emperor Domitian was ruthless in his persecution of Christians. Men, women, and children were brutally murdered. And those who professed faith in Christ were being burned alive. And Christians were being crucified on crosses. It was a painful, painful time in the history of the church. And it was during this time that God gave John a glimpse of the future. And what we know from the history books is that knowing this future reality, 
completely restored the hope of the church. And it was this hope that enabled those who profess faith in Christ to persevere in face of such horrific circumstances. Likewise, knowing that God will come again to make all things new makes us a people of hope. And as I listened to the different folks, Brent and Jason and Francie, last night, I couldn't help but hear them sharing that in our little body here, we have faced a lot of turmoil over the last 10 years. Many of us amongst us have battled cancer. Many of us have lost loved ones. Many of us have lost jobs. Many of us have struggled in our marriages. But through it all, I've been so amazed at your faith in understanding the ending of the story that has enabled you and us not to retreat from one another, but to wrap our arms around one another, to love one another, to care for one another. Our belief in the future is shaping the way we live today. And it is giving us hope. Some have asked why we named Hope, Hope Chapel, 10 years ago. And it really came out of the whole idea that in our city, as we've lost jobs through the recession in the 70s and the mills and all those things, we're still trying to get our feet back underneath us. And as I looked out at the city and as I thought about individuals that I've met with in counseling and many people that I've talked with, the one thing that I felt like people needed was the hope of the good news of the gospel. And so as Michael and Hannah and I were batting around names, it became pretty evident and obvious to all of us that we would call this place hope. And we call it chapel, not church, because we wanted to do life differently here. We wanted to simplify things, focus on worship, focus on community groups, and focus on serving the city so that we might be freed up to go out and love and share the hope of Christ with our neighbors. The future reality that John gives us in Revelation 21 melts away all our cynicism and our dissatisfaction. This future reality provides us with a living hope. And it is this hope that enables us to put one foot in front of another today, tomorrow, and the next day. And so I wonder this morning, do you believe in the future reality? Are you a person of hope? And is your hope enabling you to persevere no matter what you face today or what you might face tomorrow? In this passage, we are reminded that God is committed to complete the work that he has begun. And because of this, we can boldly seek renewal. And because of this, we can be a people of hope.
One of my favorite plays is Les Mis. It's a story of, of redemption of Jean Valjean. It's a story of courage during the French Revolution. And it's a story of hope. And my favorite song in the play is the last song where the whole company is called to stand and fight. Listen to these words. Do you hear the people sing? Lost in the valley of the night. It is the music of a people who are climbing to the light. For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. They will walk behind the plowshare. They will put away the sword. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Somewhere beyond the barricade, is there a world you long to see? Do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drums? It is the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. Amen. Amen.